0: Now, when you uh, you may wonder why in the world do I have baseball stuff up here during basketball season, and uh, or football season, depending on you know what you're looking at at these these point at this point, but uh, Doug Osborne, our uh, satellite pastor over at the East Campus, ran across an article a few weeks ago, and it talked about a, a scientific study, and they studied. Um, a baseball player taking a wooden bat, by the way, young people, this is a bat, okay? I, mean, I know it doesn't look like it, it doesn't have metal on it, but uh, this is a, a bat, in fact, it's kind of handmade, and so made for my son, and it's heavy, okay? It's not like one of those light things, but, you know, a baseball player in the major leagues uses a wooden, wooden bat. Now, y'all ready to catch this? Ready? Ready? Yeah, eh. no, I was just kidding. Um, could only do that once. <clears throat> no, not once for today, I mean once, period. Never, never would happen again, but um, the scientific study was done like this. It said it's impossible for any baseball player to hit a 90 mile an hour fastball. They studied the baseball, the size of it, the velocity as it approaches the plate, and the movement as well. Uh, for example, the fellow by the name was Zach Grinkey, I can't remember who he pitches for now, the Nationals or something. He's from Apopka, Florida. And he pitched against my son in Little League. And I asked Brandon, you know, after the game, I said, well, it didn't look like it was going that fast. He said, yeah, but it's like a wiffle ball. You know, it was going all over the place. And so not only does a 90-mile-an-hour fastball have velocity to it and, and speed, but also has movement. And this heavy bat, and so they measured it 60 feet, 6 inches from the mound to the plate. How, what was the possibility of someone actually hitting that baseball. And they discovered that it was impossible, scientifically, to do that. But yet, in the reality of it, we understand that it's done during the major league season every day. In fact, most of the pitchers, if you believe the radar guns, uh, as you watch the game, about, what, 80% of them can throw at least 90 miles an hour now. And so they're taking this big wooden bat, and, and and they're swinging, and a fellow by the name of Chipper Jones, He's retired now in the Hall of Fame, was a great player for the Atlanta Braves for years, and he was a switch hitter. And they measured his right-handed bat speed being 91 miles an hour. Now, a fastball coming in at 90, and he's hit at 91. You think, well, there's a possibility there. But his left-handed swing, which was his power swing, was less than 85 miles an hour. And so he's trying to hit a 90-mile-an-hour fastball, and probably closer to 95, with an an 85-mile-an-hour bat. You say, well, that's impossible to do, yet it's undeniable the fact that he did it so often he's in the Hall of Fame. When we're looking at trusting God, oftentimes, whether you're an unbeliever, looking at the gospel and say, could it possibly be true? I mean, how can we believe in the crucifixion? How can we believe in the virgin birth? How can we believe in the resurrection and all these other miracles? How can I believe that your life has really been changed because you're following Christ? Well, it's kind of impossible, you think but yet it's, it's undeniable. We just studied the book of Matthew and how the Pharisees and the Sadducees saw these miracles of God and Jesus Christ performing them, and they knew that they were impossible. It's impossible to feed 5,000 people by breaking fish. It's impossible to raise somebody like Lazarus from the dead, but yet they struggled with it because it was undeniable. So this year, we're going to be looking at a whole year about trust, leaning on trust, and leaning on God. Our um, mission statement, as you remember, is building lives that matter by teaching people to love, to know, to trust, and to follow Jesus. Now, in the preschool, maybe we teach them more how to love Jesus. That's what we want them to come out uh, doing, to know that Jesus loves them and they can also love Jesus. Now, knowing Christ comes more in the elementary school uh, because that's when people come to know Jesus Christ, their Savior and Lord, if they were raised in church. And then the youth, it's trusting because before you follow, you've got to trust. And finally, an adult, we emphasize the follow. But that's just emphasis. We really teach it on every level. And so last year, we went through the book of Matthew and taught about the love of God and taught how you can know Christ in a more personal way entire year in the book of Matthew. And so this year, we're taking the whole concept of trust. And as we look at this, I understand that a lot of people think, well, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, after all, look at God's track record. You know, I pray and I pray and I pray, and occasionally I get an answer to prayer. I look at all these miracles and things happening to other people's lives. Why is not that not happening to me? And you think to yourself, I can't trust politicians. I can't trust the media. I can't trust the books that I read sometimes. And why in the world should I ever trust God and why is it necessary? We're going to be looking at that. We're going to be looking at the most important thing that you can do in trusting God, the greatest expression of it, the greatest barriers to it in the weeks to come. But this morning, I just want to do an introductory message on trust and faith. And I want to look at Proverbs chapter 3, and I want to begin reading in this. And I want you to notice as I read it, the promises that are made. Nearly every two verses, there's a big, big promise made. And then, and then finally, uh, we'll get later into the message about a condition. Look at this in verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for the length of days and years of life and peace They will add to you. Why is that? Well, the book of Proverbs is about wisdom. If you follow, in fact, the whole book of Proverbs is wisdom literature contrasting those who are unwise and those who are wise. The wise live and follow God. And according to the book of Proverbs, the unwise are the people who do not. He says, if you do these teachings of mine, it's going to be well for you. Look in verse 3. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Doesn't that sound what Jesus was talking about? Loving God and then loving others as well. He says, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. But then look at verse 5. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. All kinds of conditions and all kinds of promises are made in here. But I want you to center in on this word trust for the rest of the message this morning. And I want to look at four things real, quest, real quickly, the questions. What? What is it? Who do you trust? How do you do it? And why do you do it? I mean, the why. Why in the world is it so important to trust God? Well, I want you to first of all look at the what, the principle of it. In verse 5, it says, trust In the Lord with all your heart. Now, the word trust means, uh, it's a Hebrew word. It means to lie down upon, to stretch out, to place your total weight on something. All of us trust in things. You may think, oh, you know, I don't trust anybody. I don't trust anything. How many of you came in this morning and someone, I don't think anybody's standing up in here. How many of you came in and sat down on the pew this morning? Anybody here? Oh, you're participating. Good, good, good. I like that. I like participation. All right, now, how many of you actually came in and tested it out first? You kind of shook it a little bit, made sure it's, no, you didn't do that. You just plopped right down on it, right? You trusted that that chair was going to hold you up. And that's what trust is all about. It's putting your weight upon it, putting your life upon it. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And we've established that heart in the Bible, mentioned 967 times, actually in the scripture, means your being. It means the inner core of who you are. So it's kind of like an all-in thing. You came in and popped down on the seat. You were putting all your weight in that pew. Trusting in something means you're placing your weight, your life, your fulfillment, your security on that thing. He says, do it with all your Heart be all in is what he's talking about. He says, if you do, you're going to be blessed in an unusual way. Now he says in this, he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now what is this whole idea? Whatever trust is, it looks like it's very important. And so, what is trust and what is faith? Well, in the book of Hebrews, in the in the New Testament actually, but it is written to Jewish people, just like Proverbs was. You find out in verse uh, verse 1 of chapter 11, these words. Now, faith is the assurance. Mark in the margin of your Bible, confidence. It's the assurance of things hoped for. It's like a a substance, a foundation. It's something that uh, you have confidence in of things hoped for, something in the future. Look, I, I don't know about the future, but one of the reasons why we can't trust is fear. We'll come to that in a few weeks. In fact, next week, but Fear is a reason. He says, no, don't. Don't fear anything. He says, have the assurance. I just know it. I just know it. Assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things you can't see. I can't see angels. I can't see the Holy Spirit. I can't see Jesus right now. I can't see the Father in heaven. But I'm convict, I'm convicted of those things that exist. For by it, The old received their commendation. By faith we understand, verse 3, that the universe was created by the word of God. So notice there's three things in here that have to do with faith. First of all, there's confidence. Second word's conviction. Third word is character. And whatever we're trusting in, whatever we're going all in, is very important in, in what the object really is. you got confidence. For example, <clears throat> you got confidence that uh, some of you single people, you know, hey, if I just get married, that's all I need to do. I've got to get married. If I get married, all my problems will be solved. <laughs> I'll give you a moment to let that sink in for you. <laughs> so it's a conviction. Look, I've, I've got to do everything that I need to do in order to win this one particular person over. Anything, anything and everything, legal, illegal, because. No matter what, that's what matters. And you you have the confidence and the character of it. Now, the Bible says the word of God. The words of someone is so important. You know, you never hear anybody says, well, he's a bold-faced liar, but he's got great character. No, you don't hear that because the words of someone mean so much to them. Well, what is the character of marriage? Somebody says, oh, it, it works out for everybody. Just look at the fairy tales, the Disney fairy tales. They lived what? Happily ever after, sure. Everybody lives happily ever after. Look at the Christmas movies on TV. They always work out well. And so I got a track record here. So you put all your trust in that. And what about career? And somebody says, now, wait a minute. Careers are very important, marriage is important as well. But here's the difference between really liking your career and loving it and having it on the throne of your life you get laid off, you lose your job everybody's sad, everybody's hurt. Everybody that goes through that has a come-to-Jesus moment, you might say. There's a deadening in the heart. But that's different from just plain being crushed. But people trust in their career. Look, in order to get fulfillment in life, in order to get my security in life, in order to have peace in my life, I've got to have enough fame or money or power, and I get that through a career. And so you do anything possible Anything that you have to do in order to be successful at that career. What are you doing? You're placing your weight on that career. You're placing your life and your heart going all in on that career. So we look and we look and say, why is that so important? Because it's like this whatever you choose to go all in with, whatever the, the choice of your object of faith is going to determine what you have confidence in. What is really going to give you what you need? And so therefore, if you have confidence in it, it's going to control your life. And we're talking here about idolatry, lordship of Christ, something we all deal with all the time, every day. But what are you placing your faith in? That's the second thing. Let's look at the object and the who. Who do you place your trust in? The object of it, it says in verse 5, trust in the Lord. So, what are you trusting in? The idea is that you depend on the object for fulfillment, the value, security, and you trust it to fulfill your needs in your life. It could be the marriage, it could be having a family, your career, could be money. Something about money, you know, if you trust in that because you feel like money is going to give you security money is what's going to give you power over people, then you're going to do anything that you have to do to make the money. And then you, of course, since it's yours, you get to spend it any way you want and, and dole it out any way you want and spoil anybody you want. And all kinds of evil, the Bible says, can come from that. But if you've placed your faith in that, your trust in that, it's going to change your life. So why trust God? What, what kind of track record are we talking about here? Many of you said, you know, I become discouraged. I pray about something, it doesn't come true. So what about this whole idea of the object? The object, it's all about the object. We all trust, every single, every single person here without exception. I can tell you, think about it. We trust in something or someone. Something's got our heart. So what is the object to it all? You know, some of you look like uh, you never go to the movies or you never watch TV. This looks like an intellectual group, in fact. Very smart, very, you read a lot, I can tell. But suppose you were to go to a movie, say a Dwayne Johnson movie. Anybody know who I'm talking about? Aha, uh-huh, some of you do go to movies. All right, so here's Dwayne Johnson and, and, and whoever the lady is with him. And, of course, this, if you don't know him, he, he's humongous, man. He must be six, five, and 300 pounds worth of solid muscle or something. He looks like the incredible Hulk, only not green, you know, that kind of thing. And so he's a huge guy. And there they are, maybe on a ship or something or a boat. And there's a, a typhoon going, there's a hurricane happening. There's sharks circling around, eels in the water. And he looks at her and says, well, All right, we're going to jump. And she says, What? Trust me. Can you trust me? And she looks at him and says, Yes, I do. Was she crazy or something? Was he a, a shark wrestler or some, something? You know, Does he hypnotize eels? Can he walk on the water? No, I'm waiting for some leading lady to look at him and say, No, I'm, I'm going to trust you. What, jump in the water? Why would I say it would be a, a kind of a dumb move to trust him? Well, because he can't walk on the water. Because he doesn't have enough power to, to, to deliver on the promises. And people make promises all the time. They make promises to their family. Oh, just trust me with this. And what they're really saying is I'm going to do everything in my power to make it happen. The problem is they don't have all that power. They don't have enough power to do it. So why trust God? Well, there's two things that you ask in your heart before you trust anything or anybody. Number one, can they do it? And number two, are they willing to do it? And we find in the Bible, in the Scriptures, where God talks about this over and over and over again. So I'm going to give you uh, five quick reasons, and we'll go over these in the future uh, a little bit more. But five reasons why you can trust God. one, He he can't lie. He'd cease to be God if he lied, so he's faithful. The Bible says he's all-powerful. There's nothing that God cannot do. He's all-knowing. You know, somebody gets on the internet or on the news, and they're from Harvard or one of the uh, Notre dame or whatever they 're in one of these real intellectual schools, and they give an opinion about, upon something, and we take it like it 's gospel or something now i 'm not saying they 're not maybe, maybe the smartest guy in the world, but how much knowledge does the smartest guy in the world have? Less than one percent you said're all about the past got to have knowledge of that future, knowledge of the right now people of opinions that we're taking over sometimes the Word of God in our life have, have really no clue of what's going on except for what they can see. And just because they can perceive maybe a little bit more than them, memorize a little bit more than us, we think they've got the answers. But God is all-knowing. God is not only all-knowing, God's in control. He's sovereign. God also loves you. Isn't that what we're talking about here? About two things. Can he, will he? I remember um, preaching and teaching a, um, in a little small town in Georgia. A good friend of mine was the pastor, and we'd go and eat at this little diner every morning and then just take off and, and uh, share Christ with people and invite people to the meetings that night. And uh, every morning we'd eat at this diner, and the owner of the diner would talk to us. And so I began to share Christ with her, and he had done that before. And so she just came up with a conclusion. and said, look, uh, you know, I know my son, and, and she started talking about her family and some of the impossibilities it seems like in your own life was an impossibility it looked like in her life. And she says, I've just come to the conclusion that God is just not powerful enough. It's not his fault. He's not powerful enough. Now, there's only two things when God doesn't come through for you that you can, you can even address. One, God... Is he powerful enough, and God, do you love me? And none of us really want to admit that God doesn't love us, so he must not be powerful enough. In fact, if you admit, before you admit that God doesn't love you, the chances are you'll just say there is no God. We just can't come to the grips with the fact the Supreme Creator could not love us. But listen to what the Bible says. God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, to die on the cross. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. God gave his life for you. God said, I've demonstrated my love toward you, and that while you are yet a sinner, I've died for you. He says in Romans, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, or dangerous sword, as is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long, under persecution we are regarded as sheep to the slaughter. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Tim Keller, great quote here. He says, to trust God we must be absolutely sure God loves us. Do you know that? I'm not talking about all the frills and all the, you know, somebody says, oh, yeah, what's not to love, you know? And that's just a, kind of insecurity, you know? I mean, what's not to love? I'm such a great person. I don't know why they didn't choose me to be the next Thor or James Bond or whatever, you know? I'm just, I'm not talking about all that stuff. Getting down to it, do you realize, do you feel it, that God really loves you? You say, well, how do I get there? I need to be there. How do I get there? What's the path to it all? How? Verse 5, it says again, do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Verse 6, and he will make your path straight. Two things here he mentions two ways to the path. Number one, lean not on your own understanding. Isn't that what I do all the time? Isn't that what you do? You know, we even jump to conclusions all the time about what's going on in our church, our family, the world. If we don't know, we jump to conclusions. Why? We're trying to lean on our own understanding. We're trying to process what little knowledge we have and put it into the test tube of life. It's like the 90 mile an hour fastball. You're trying to figure it out, trying to figure it out. When we can't figure it out, we just have to accept it. That it's irrefutable before us. He says, Don't be wise in your own eyes. That's what he's saying. Proverbs is all about that. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Trust God and his wisdom because we can't deny the undeniable. And what's undeniable? Well, Jesus Christ was born. He lived 33 and a half years on earth. History will teach us that as well as the Bible. He died on a Roman cross. He was claimed to be raised again on the third day. And we talked about that last Christmas in the book of Matthew And the proofs of that and the evidence of that, but something we take by faith, certainly, but then we realize it later. And I'll come back to that in just a minute. What else can we realize? Well, how many lives have been changed? That's what we're talking about when we're asking you to give your testimony of what God has done in your life in one area or your life to the other, especially salvation. Let's get it on video or let's put it in print. Let's get it on on, on Facebook and everything. Why? Because the world wants to know what's going on in your life. How is Jesus really affecting your life? I want to look at the undeniable. What's the undeniable in your life? Look at the lives that have been changed. The alcoholics that have been saved. The marriages that have been saved. The people that have been healed. He said, well, it's not happening all the time. But it happens sometimes. It does. It's kind of like the undeniable. So what about... What about suffering, though, Pastor? You know, look at God's track record. There's suffering going on all in the world, starvation in the world. There's war in the world. And, of course, because, and I know that this is not a message about that. I'll come back to this in about maybe a month. But the suffering is there because of sin, because sin is just in the works of everything. It's in the DNA of the world. But what about suffering for the believer? I want you to notice beginning in verse 8 it says it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Don't you like to live that way? Man, a refreshment to my life. On the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce and then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats be bursting with wine. Man, one promise after the other. But you think what about the suffering? right? Verse 10, verse 11 rather. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of its reproof. For the Lord reproves him who loves as a father, the son, and whom he delights. And this is quoted again in Hebrews chapter 6. And we look at this and we think, okay, just because I'm going down the right road does not mean there won't be obstacles there. You know, God, it says, is going to direct our paths. So, therefore, if I go down the right path, it's going to be smooth as silk. Let me ask you something. How many of you went out of town during, in the last couple of months? Anybody here besides me? I headed up 95 to go see my son, uh, my, my daughter-in-law, and my three grandchildren, three of my grandchildren up in North Carolina. And it told me to get on this this road 95 and then switch to, I don't know, 26 and 77. Well, I could have come to 26. And by the way, it's not very busy, but suppose it was. I looked at it and thought, man, look at all the traffic on Highway 26. I'm not going that way. Man, that's just too much. And so I keep going up 95 and I end up in New York City. (laughs) And I'm thinking to myself, man, that was a smooth ride. You know, there was no obstacles in the way. There was nothing really going on, no wrecks involved. It, I got here in record time, but I'm in the wrong place. Right? I've got to take Highway, I got to take Interstate 26, and I got to wrestle with 77 and 85 in order to get there. I've got to make the right turns. Just because I make the right turns. In fact, when we got on 26 coming the other way, it was miles of traffic. All the way down 95, all the way down leaving south. It never ended. It went on for an hour of traffic. Wow, glad I'm going this way. But what about the people going the other way? And the GPS told them. I mean, you can't rely on GPS anymore. It took me through all this traffic. But without going through that traffic, you're not going to get there. You see, the Christian life is not a dance around the trials of life but a victorious journey through those trials. The obstacles come. The wrecks come along the way. But you're going to end up at the place where you need to be. And by the way, it's the suffering, it's the trials of life that bring us and draw us closer to God. It's the times where you go through loss and I go through pain, and it's those times that God comes in and embraces us as we trust Him are the times that not only grow us the most, but we remember the most. Same way in your life. He says, just as a son disciplines his father, or a father disciplines his son. My my mom passed away a few years ago, and uh, I was wondering to myself, what do I remember about her? And I asked myself right after she passed away, what do I remember about her the most of any other incident in my life? Well, it happened back when I was, I don't know, five, six, seven years old. I, you know, I don't remember the exact age. I'm getting older. It's kind of, you know, the ballpark is, is enough. And so about six years old, I had the measles. I don't know if you've ever had that or not, but I had it for two weeks. And my eyes would just burn. I mean, I couldn't stand the light. I had all this pink lotion, you know, all over me. Some of you remember that. Calamine or whatever it was. For itching, I was just itching all over and it was the time that she put a, a tent, made a, got a blanket of, of sorts, and made a tent over the couch where I could lay on the couch and be in the family without the light bothering my eyes. It's those times where you take that grandchild or child and they come up and run and hug you because they fell at the playground and their knees all bleeding and you, you clean it up, put a Band-Aid, and say, it's going to be all right. Those are the times that they're going to remember. The times that you were close. And that's the way it is with our relationship with God. It's the times that he comes to our aid in the trials of life. The Christian life has never... Look in the Bible. Look at history. We're living in a time where there's le- the least amount of persecution in any one country, maybe, I don't know, maybe in the history of man. And if I, in spite of the fact that we... We feel like we're being persecuted sometimes mentally and verbally. It's not like it's been before. The Christian life is not a dance around the trials, but a victorious journey through the trials. He says, don't lean on your understanding. You're not going to understand it. You're not going to get it. Your, your knowledge is so limited. He says, but all your ways acknowledge Him. What does that mean? It means in every area of my life, I acknowledge him as being the leader, the GPS, the Lord of those areas of my life. Every area that comes up, I turn it over to him. I put him on the throne of my life. He says, you do this and he will make your paths straight, which brings me uh, to the final point. Why? The purpose of it. Why trust in the Lord? Why do that? It says he will make your path straight, literally direct your paths. Now that's not a promise, by the way. Proverbs is a book of cause and effect. It's a book of wisdom. But here is a promise from the scripture. It says this, but I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you, Psalm 32, 8. I will direct, I will, I will cut a highway for you. A promise to direct us in our decisions of life. What do we say? Solomon's saying the wisest thing you can do is to trust God. But as you trust God, as you do that, he's gonna bring more wisdom. He's gonna direct your paths through reading the Bible. He's gonna, well, there's some things in the Bible, he doesn't tell you. You know, some of you may be uh, contemplating a move, maybe 2 0 veto. Or away from Oviedo, another job. You know, your job is not located in the Bible. It doesn't say go here, go there. What about then? It's the wisdom of God. How do you get the wisdom of God? By not leaning on your own understanding. On all your ways acknowledge Him. Get the Bible in your heart. It's just, I don't want to say philosophy. That's a wrong word. But for lack of a better term, it's, it's a way of looking at life. It's just a way of being. When you know God's heart and God's mind, I mean, what would happen to your life and mine if we read the Bible every day, if we just took 15, 20 minutes a day and maybe read through the Bible this year? What would happen to our life if we took 15, 20 minutes or maybe five minutes more, 10 minutes more than what you're taking now and praying deliberately and intentionally for yourself and for the people around you? How would our life change? He says, direct your paths to the word, through wisdom, through godly counsel. The Bible says, in the multitude of counselors, there's wisdom. How do you do that? You, you become part of the body of Christ. It's not just a matter of attending a church. I'm going to get wisdom just by attending the church. Well, you're going to learn what I'm teaching you, maybe. I've heard you only get a, hear about 5% of what I say. I'm hoping that's at least 6 but about 5%, and then you don't remember it. I think you listen more than that. But you remember about 5%, and that's all you get. No, you you come and you get involved in a small group. And because that small group, iron sharpens iron, you learn from other people in the council. The council and and even the accountability of a multitude will give you wisdom. And so we're looking at this. Relying on God. He's going to take you where you need to go, even in the times, by the way, that you just don't get it. You just don't get it. And something happens to your life, and I've said before, it's like throwing a rock into the creek and just the rippling effect. You can see it going on for minutes, the rippling effect of that one stone being thrown in. You don't know what's happening to you right now, whether it's good or not so good, adversity, trials how that's affecting everybody around you, what God is trying to do in your life. I know that I, I read a story, true story about a, a real guy way back in the last century that um, was, a, was a music leader. And this particular church called him and he just got married. He didn't have a dime, just enough money to get him there. When he got there, they said, well, you know, Things are tough, things are hard, and we just can't hire you. He ended up staying in a motel with his bride. Nowhere to go, no money. This guy comes up to him, knocks on his door. So said, I heard you're a music leader. And he said, yeah, 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 that's what I do. So there is a big meeting, a tent meeting going on down the road, and the guy that we were supposed to lead the music became ill. He can't make it. Could you come and lead the music? Yeah, I'd love to. So after going through all this, and I can go on through other trials as well that he went through, he ended up at the tent meeting, made a real connection with the evangelist, and they became the greatest evangelistic team probably of all time, Billy Graham and his music director, Cliff Barrows. Cliff Barrows, because of the situation that he went through in life, ended up at a tent meeting. Now, he could, I don't know what his demeanor was that day. I don't know if he was crying in his bedside. I don't know if his wife was crying. I don't know if they were just trusting God. Didn't say all that. This is what I brought you through. Now, here is your destination. And we don't know where God's going to take us. You say, well, I just sort of got to accept that on faith, right? Yes and no. Yes, but no. You see, it's all about trust. You can't know it for sure. I was, uh, and I'll close with this. I was reading a book just recently, just finished it, called Dave, uh, I think it's Dave and Casper, no, Jim and Casper, Go to Church. And Jim is a, is a former pastor and he's a writer. And he hired Casper, an atheist, to go around to six different towns, cities, go to a lot of different churches and make comments about what he thought about the services. Very interesting book. You ought to get it and read it. It's a quick read. And, um, and one of the conclusions that Casper came to, in fact, the conclusion was, he said he gets offended when people say, I know something. They get up and, and testify. Oh, I know that God is with me. I know that I'm saved. I know this. He said, you can't know it. It's just you got to take it by faith. Well, he's right, but he's wrong. He's right, but he's not so right. Yes, before you experience Christ, you take it by faith. You look at the evidence and the calling of God in your life and say, God, I can't know all the answers. I just can't know them all. No matter how many churches I go to, how much I read the Bible, I can't know. I can't know. I wasn't back then. If even I lived back then, I wouldn't have known everything that was going on. I can't know it for positive. But I, I know that it looks like it's true. And I accept it on faith. Now, What happens? Once you accept it by faith, you go from the faith to the total trust because you know it's true. How do I know that if I were to die right now, I'd go to heaven? Because I've experienced Christ. There are promises in the Bible, but I've experienced Christ. Why can I preach when I'm preaching to you today? Because I've gone through this stuff, this trials. I'm going through it now. I'll go through it tomorrow and, and next year. It'll be something different come along. I've experienced, but I've experienced the hero, Jesus Christ, coming and helping me. So I know, but I didn't know. When I was 16 years old, I just simply said to God, God, I don't know. I've been searching this for four years, and I don't know. But I believe it. I just know in my heart it must be true. So I accepted my faith, and I asked Jesus into my heart, to my Savior and Lord. Have you ever made that decision? Because that's what it's all about. People say, well, how do you know the Bible is really going to give you wisdom? You don't. You accept it by faith. But once you do and start doing it, then you realize, wow, when I read the Bible, I'm a wise guy. I'm a wise person. How do you know that becoming becoming part of a good small group and a group of men or women around you, depending on whether you're a man or a woman, and and a council of those people, how do you know you don't know? You just don't know. And some classes would work for you, and some classes maybe won't. You don't know. But once you do it, then you know. So I'm going to ask you to take so everything. In. in fact, I'm going to ask you this year to do something spiritually, by faith, that's bold. Bold for you. And I'm going to say, yeah, yeah, I need to take this job. Man, that will be a bold statement. If I just quit my job, I'm not, I'm not talking about that. That's between you and God. I'm asking you, and I believe God is challenging me to challenge you today to do something bold spiritually, whatever that is. Something that God's laying on your heart. It could be a ministry. It could be giving. It could be reading the Bible through in a year, and you think, oh, yeah, I've done that so many times I quit all the time. No. Make it a bold thing. Something that you're stepping out in faith and trust. Because I'm asking you, I think it's only fair that I ask you, if I'm going to ask those people beside you who don't know the Lord, to trust Him as their Savior and Lord, don't you? We live by faith. So every day there's a new challenge in our life to trust God. Trust, 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 then you know. Trust, then you know. Trust, then you know. The undeniable. It's true. It's true. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.